Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. The information in this podcast is provided for education and research information only. It is not a substitute for professional health advice. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Kick. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And today we're going to be covering, does an obstetrician even like birth plans? The birth plan. Fantastic. Good, good. So hopefully in this uh, episode you'll learn who needs a birth plan, how many people use a birth plan, do birth plans actually make birth better, what can go in a birth plan, what doesn't work in a birth plan, and importantly, when to give your care provider your birth plan. All right, we've got plenty to cover. Let's get on with it. All right, good. Uh, it's been a it's been a bit hectic getting here, Pat, hasn't it? <laughs> it's a big obstetrics day, but we're uh, we're good to go with a, a new podcast. Maybe you know people like to hear about your day. I know what happened this morning, but just give us a rundown um, without giving away anything. Oh um, yeah, so it's a typical um, Friday. We're, we're recording <laughs> on Friday, and it, it, Friday in medical practice. Not just obstetrics. Friday in medical practice all around the world is a lot of phone calls from people who don't want to get stuck with a certain problem over the weekend. Yeah, maybe uh, they've been sitting it on on it all week. It may be that may be, <laughs> but it's, it's legitimate. But uh, and, and and it's fair enough. And and um, I think by getting those calls on a Friday and dealing with them on a Friday, maybe we are saving ourselves more. Uh, out of hours work on the weekend. On the weekends, yeah. But yeah, no, certainly just just those little dramas that crop up on a Friday that uh, that make it a, a super busy day. So I know that um, I walked in and there was a a patient who had just found out that she was having twins. Oh, that was this morning. <laughs> you saw her in the wedding. Yeah, room. I did. Yeah, they, yeah. How they great were is just that? Sitting there, a little shell shocked. <laughs> yeah, there's a certain type of shocked. Yes, that goes with new new twin diagnosis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, good. All right. So, Pat, tell us, what is a birth plan? I think there's a bit of a myth that, that obstetricians don't like birth plans. I do. I reckon they're great. And I don't know that, I don't know that there's anything much in life that, will, that can go to plan if we don't have a plan mm. for it to follow. And uh, what's our motto at home? Like, all plans are made to be changed? Oh, sure. That, that's right. So, these have, we, really, we really like um, birth plans that I think are open-ended that exist as a way of facilitating communication between the patient and the care providers. Mm. I think they're very valuable for that and that exist as an educational opportunity. All the time, if I go through, when, when I go through a, a patient's birth plan, say about 30 weeks, there'll be something in the plan that shows that the couple have potentially slightly misunderstood some aspect of obstetric care. I'll explain. They'll, it might say, under no circumstances do I want intervention X, Y, Z. Hmm. And I'll say, well, 
do you know why we might occasionally recommend intervention X, Y, Z? And they'll go, no. And I'll say, oh, well, we use that in the following in the following circumstances. And they'll go, oh, well, we would want it in those circumstances. So you see what I mean? There's, there's, uh, it's, a, it's a learning opportunity. Yes. I remember, Pat, when we were uh, writing the content for the Grow My Baby program and you were telling me a story about someone that had just said that, under you know, they're never going to use the gas. And, you know, you further questioned her on why wouldn't you use the gas. Sure. And um, do you remember this? And and she said, oh, because my sister used it or my friend used it and she was sick during the labour. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're like, well, how do you know how you'll go on yeah, the gas? Yeah, yeah you might. Give, give it a try and see how you go. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good example. So we just don't know until we're there. So, Pat, where might someone find a birth plan? Like, do they just come up with it themselves? Yeah, sometimes people just make their own, which is terrific. But there's lots of other sources. So the hospital might have a standardised birth plan for people in the hospital information, and they can be very good. There's a lot of uh, patient-driven ones, uh, tons of places you can find examples on the internet. Mm, There's ones that are just like... Tick boxes I've found on the internet, like just yeah. templates that you download. Yeah, which is which is terrific. And then the provider, you know, the care provider, midwife, obstetrician might have one of their own as well. We've got a good one in our Grow My Baby um, information program that uh, we hope asks a lot of open-ended questions mm. that gets people thinking about uh, about you know certain preferences, interventions, and so forth. Yeah, and we might talk about that in part two. Good. So, Pat, you've talked about like it from a care provider's point of view, you know, yeah. a birth plan allows open communication and for you both to be on the same page and everything. Sure. But what could a woman expect from having a birth plan? Well, I think advocates of birth plans say that they allow women to feel more empowered, more like they're making decisions and less of that sense of being out of control. And overall, satisfaction at birth decreases when a woman is left out of the decision-making process. So the birth plan is her way, in particular, in advance of saying, here's what I want, here's how I would like it to go, here's how it'll go in a perfect world. And that's her voice that she's able to put on paper beforehand before things, before she might be in pain or distressed or stressed and that voice might be lost. It's a little bit of a fine line though, isn't it? I mean, gosh, <laughs> um, you are going to laugh at me, but have a, I think I might have told you, I think I had a, like a three or a four-page uh, birth plan. Yes, yeah, there's my your first problem. There. <laughs> <laughs> one, I always say one page is done. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So my um, birth plan, were it basically was paragraphs of things that I didn't want to happen. Not much of what I did want to happen, but yes. like what I didn't want to happen. And uh, really that was from my own reading. And um, actually for first time listeners, uh, you might be thinking, how did I have this when I've got an obstetrician husband? This was <laughs> before I met Pat with my first two boys. Sure. Um, yeah, so that that actually really set me up to fail, I think. Like if I'm reflecting on that, I had so many... Um, aspects of that birth that didn't go to my birth plan. Yes, that it set me up for feeling like I'd failed. Yeah, but I don't think that that's the birth plan's fault. I, I, I think <laughs> I'm not going to say it's your fault. I, I, I don't think that's the birth plan's fault. I think that's why we have to be uh, careful when we make the birth plan and and realistic and not prescriptive and lots of closed language. Mm. I think part of it, like you said before, that a birth plan is partly educational. Yes. Um, and I think that that, on reflection, 
that would have been a better tool to actually learn about the um, things that I was putting in my birth plan yes. rather than having a, a really uh, set point of view of that birth plan, yeah. yeah, what was going to happen. So, I mean, we've said it before, but I think you must be up to, what, 3,000 or so births now that you've attended. Sure. Yeah, we yeah we we don't count, do we? No. <laughs> but let's guess about three thousand. So in all that time, what do you think? Are birth plans more common now, or they're trending up, trending down? I think that they're a first timers thing. Yeah. So very much um, first uh, baby, and uh, I think maybe two thirds yeah. of people would have a formal birth plan on a piece of paper. Uh, sometimes I worry about the one third who say we'll, we'll just wing it. Wing it. <laughs> sometimes those people aren't as laid back as they. Are coming across. Yeah, uh, it's not for everybody to write it down on a formal piece of paper, but maybe two thirds of the the first timers, mm. and then of the second and and subsequent timers, they tend not to write a detailed birth plan. The whole thing. Um, remember that things are likely to go more smoothly for those people anyway, mm. but they might have a strong view about repeating something that they saw as that didn't go well last time. Yeah, and we see that quite a bit, don't we? Like if if somebody says that they they had a tear the first time, and actually you know later on. Um, uh, we might do a couple of podcasts where people have, have given us those messages where they wonder what to do with the subsequent birth if they've sure. had, you know, a, a tear or something like that. But, you know, their chances are lessening each birth. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So if we get – if someone uh, felt very strongly coming into their second birth that they were worried, super-duper worried about an epidural because they had an unsatisfactory um, experience with an epidural in the first birth and they come into that second birth saying absolutely no epidural, well, it's a good opportunity to, to cover the fact that they're most unlikely to need an epidural in the second labour compared to the first anyway. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And that even if they did, a different different uh, different epidural on a different day might be fine. Mm. So is it in your opinion then, oh, we don't do opinions much, but anyway, is it in your hmm. opinion <laughs> that those two-thirds that do do a birth plan, have you got any sort of anecdotal sort of idea about whether they do go better than the one the, that don't? They're more informed. Does it go better on the I don't think. I don't think if you write on a birth plan under no circumstances do I want to have obstructed labour in a caesarean section. I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think that changes the risk of that mm. happening. But I think that if you put um, I don't want an obstructed labour in a caesarean section on a birth plan and you go and learn what obstructed labour is and you go and learn what a caesarean section is and how they're safe and effective and so forth, then then you're better informed. Yes. And and I suspect more likely to adapt well if if things don't go to plan. Yeah, and that is the whole thing about sort of acknowledging birth is unpredictable. Yeah. All right, so uh, we have talked a little bit about sort of what the birth plan is, mm. but I really think that people want to start knowing what to put in a birth plan. Actually, the nitty-gritty, what yep. goes in there. So we'll come back after a little break and we'll go into what goes into a birth plan. Perfect. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. <laughs> we get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? <laughs> but, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. 
Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant, in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you... Come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Here we are. Now we're going to be talking about what goes in a birth plan. So, Pat, what's the number one thing um, that can go in? There's no one thing, is there? (laughs) It's a big, long list. (laughs) I think there's one thing that I love to see up the top, and that is an acknowledgement that things may not go according to plan and that receiving expert advice from expert midwives and obstetricians and paediatricians may be necessary on the day. So I really encourage my patients to open with a little statement of open-mindedness because I think that really gets you off on the right foot with the care providers on the day. So you're not just going, here's how I want to go, people, like you're ordering something in a, in a, in a McDonald's. Uh, you, um, you're, it's, there's an acknowledgement that 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 um, that some very skilled people are going to be watching over you on the day, and that you care what they think. Yeah. You're listening to the Kick with Dr. Pat and Bridget. How many times have you Googled something about your pregnancy? When I was pregnant all the time, Dr. Pat. <laughs> we get it. You may be confused or overwhelmed. It's normal to want information, but where's the reliable stuff from experts? Yeah. Now, if you like our podcast, Dr. Pat and I have developed an online program to help guide you through whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. It's taken us literally two years to put it together. Two long, hard years, wasn't it? (laughs) But, you know, it is a game changer in how pregnancy information is given. Now, how it works is uh, you get to sign up at whatever stage of pregnancy you're at. Like, So you could be pre-pregnant in your very early stages of pregnancy, late pregnancy, preparing for birth, or maybe you've just brought your baby home. And you get lots of information around that. And then you also get to join our closed Facebook group. We've called in all our contacts too. So we've got a dietitian, an anaesthetist, physiotherapist. Sonographer. Yeah, who else? A pediatric nurse, obstetrician, mother of four. Oh, just all the people you need to hear from. So if that's you, come and join us at www.growmybaby.com.au. And that sort of speaks to that time being a team. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the woman is at the centre of it. Yes. But there's a team that supports her. Yeah. Yeah. And great way to get everyone on side if we acknowledge that this team effort. Yeah. I think um, ages ago we might have done something on Instagram where we said birth is a dance, not a fight. It's a good way of putting it. I think then we want to divide, I encourage people to divide it up into things that you really want, like skin to skin contact after the baby comes out. Oh, can I just say a little bit about that? Yeah. So I know this is a bit of a divergence, uh, but we remember with our, we had a third and fourth planned caesarean in yep. the end. I've had mm-hmm. four caesars. So the third and fourth were planned. You know, we even forgot to ask for skin to skin. And so the third baby, Solly, the midwife at the day, she just sort of Put the put him right on my chest and snuggled us all up and that was really great. Yep. And then with Rex the fourth, only thirteen months later, um, <laughs> they 
wrapped him up like a burrito and handed him back. And right. and he wasn't on my skin. Uh-huh. And then, you know, an old older midwife came in and sort of like, that's no good. What's going on <laughs> What's here? What's going on here? And un- yeah. unwrapped him and put him straight on my chest. And, and you know, I felt like an idiot because I was like, oh, God, I should have said that uh-huh. that's what we wanted to do. Well, I think that skin-to-skin um, contact is, is a great thing. And a lot of people read about that and think that sounds terrific and want that. So that's that's something that should go on there in the section about stuff that I want. Mm. I think there's another section of things that would be nice. You know what I mean? Like like things that are they're not, you know, it's not an absolute must have, but it's a preference. Like the food you can eat in labour, uh, music to have playing, those sort of things. And then I want to really hear about deal breakers, the things that people feel very, very strongly that they don't want. Can you ask for things like, um, you know, for minimal people in the room? Yeah. If possible. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. That, that should definitely be on, on the list. Yeah. Can you ask for people to like, I don't know, speak softly or like what, what, what's the extent that you can sort of control the birthing room? Well, I think that's a good question and I, I think you, you want your voice heard. So if, if it's very important to you that the lighting is kept low, music is kept soft and the voices are kept low, then absolutely put it on there. Yeah. What are some deal breakers that you've seen in birth plans? Oh, I think people probably put sometimes on the deal breaker section, they might put things that are actually out of date, like routine episiotomy. Yeah. Or um, uh, pubic shaving or, or enemas before birth. And and they've read those somewhere, but those, those are things that we haven't really done for years. Right. Yeah. Yep. Many, many years. So, again, great opportunity to say, well, we don't, we don't do that anyway. Don't worry about it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Get, that, get that out of your mind. So, I sometimes see out of date things in the deal breaker section a great opportunity to reassure people that that's not a thing anymore. Mm. You know, sometimes people have very strong views about which family member's going to visit first and those sort of things. Yeah. yeah. And uh, life's complex, you know. Yeah. That, that, that might be the thing that is the fear that that woman is holding, you know, that they might have a um, father-in-law who's trying to exert himself into the – I'm just guessing. He sure. Be- so that's that's the thing. We want to hear about people's fears. Yeah. yeah. All right. So what about those ones, Patty, that, you know, we touched on it in part one, you know, the really prescriptive ones. I've seen them on uh, many sites. You can download something and it's actually filled out for you already. Yes. So I guess that that's the one that um, I think is probably less useful because I think what that person might be trying to do is by putting a very prescriptive plan, they, they hope or think that that might actually improve how things go on the day mm. and I think a, a, I think a better way of doing it to be honest is to is to acknowledge that birth can be complex usually goes beautifully well occasionally it doesn't and occasionally things can happen quickly mm. and need a pivoting um, quickly yeah a great idea for a birth plan is to say if everything is going really well then here's how I'd like that to run yep but in the event of cesarean section, I've even I've got some preferences for that as well. And actually, that's how we've set up our birth plan on our program, isn't it? So we go vaginal birth, spontaneous v- vaginal birth. Yeah. Yeah. Then we talk about cesarean section, and then we talk about uh, assisted birth. Yeah, because yeah. I think for a first time, it's very realistic to consider all three of those options as being common. Mm. But each of those options still has a, a, a way for the patient to 
have preferences and have those preferences uh, respected. What sort of preferences might somebody have in, say, a caesarean birth? Yeah, so that's the one that people think if it comes to that, then they've lost control. <laughs> it's, it's over, you know. Um, and, and, you know, not at all. There are still some things that can be done very well in the setting of a caesarean birth, for example, that might still honour the woman's um, birth plan and preferences. So things that we might still have a choice in, for example, who's going to be there in the in the operating theatre mm. as a support person. Uh, uh, skin-to-skin contact is still um, totally reasonable. Um, that I'd like to be able to see the baby while the baby's at the paediatric paediatrician station um, being checked over by the paediatrician, dried off and wrapped up and so forth. So I'd like to be, that to be in my line of sight. Uh, delay, you know, delayed cord clamping is still doable to, at a caesarean section routinely as long as there isn't too much bleeding. It's usually very, very uh, possible and appropriate to leave the placenta there and let the cord keep pumping till it stops and then clamp it and then, and then uh, pass the baby off. What about the drapes? Can you say anything about the drapes? Uh, yeah, that's a good. That's a good one. So lowering the drape as the head comes out. Yeah. Or keeping them up. Keeping them up. <laughs> that is also a preference. Yeah. Like you know, we've you know you oh, we I don't do them. You do maternal assisted cesareans. Yeah. And we thought that that would be everybody's wish. Yeah. But actually, you know. Only some people take it up. Yeah, not 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 many. Not many take um, it but, up. But but um, it can be ter- it can be a terrific way for cesarean section to be to be um, undertaken for the right person who who is is, is keen. Mm. Yeah, Does, doesn't often. Uh, it's not it's not often done as an, in an emergency setting, so it probably doesn't have a place on a routine birth plan. Yeah, but it would have the it would have a place on the birth plan of someone who was planning to have a section because they could say things. Like, you know, I want my hands to be the first hands to touch the baby's head. That sort of thing. That yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Pretty amazing. All right. Um, and what about in an assisted birth? Is there any sort of choices that we could, or preferences that we could talk about? Yeah, I think so. But I think that um, that that's probably a really good example about how the birth plan can be used as an educational opportunity because I'll often read in a birth plan, I want a vacuum and not forceps, mm. yeah? And it's a great opportunity to explain to people the difference between a vacuum and forceps, and in particular, the difference between the scenarios in which I might do a vacuum versus in which I might do a forceps. And once you've explained all of that, the patient might go, okay, well, that's different. If I really need an instrumental birth and it's appropriate to have a vacuum, I'll have a vacuum, and if it's appropriate to have a forceps, I'll have a forceps. Yeah, and actually... We like our patients to be asking questions of their care provider, don't we? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and so um, I think I think it's a really good um, opportunity for the patient, smart people, well and truly able to understand that there are uh, occasions that call for vacuums and occasions that call for forceps. Mm. And that's an educational opportunity. All right, Patty. Do you think that we've covered we've covered vaginal delivery, cesarean, and assisted birth? There's some things in the birth plan you can put about the baby too, isn't there? Oh, of course. So um, it should cover the care after the birth as well. So um, things like um, circumcision for boys, vitamin K injections, hepatitis B vaccination, establishment of breastfeeding, where the baby's going to be in the room. Mm. And so forth. Yeah, so you get a chance to put all of that in a birth plan, which I think, you know, like we keep saying, it's, it gives you a chance to be educated about it, but it also gives you a chance to talk with your partner, if you've got a partner, to talk to them about, you know, well, this is what, as a as a little team, yeah. we want for our baby. Perfect. Yeah. 
it's a it's a first step in the parenting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. parenting. Well, that's what we should have, isn't it? Parenting plans. We spend an awful lot of time planning for birth. Yes. And maybe there should be a whole thing called a parenting plan, but that's a topic for another day. Yes, it is. Yep, yep. Good. All right, everyone. So we're going to go on to the... Myth or fact. An obstetrician will intervene quicker if it gets closer to their home time or... They are due to play golf. Oh, yeah. Myth or fact? Yeah, I, I hope this is a myth. You know, you hear that. I, I think that obstetricians are very dedicated people and it would be an odd job to choose if you were then going to prioritise uh, golf over good care. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think so. I hope, I, hope that's, I hope that's a myth. There is a little bit of truth in it, though, isn't it, uh, where... You know, you might be making decisions based on who's there at the time at the hospital if something, you know, you needed a, a caesarean or something well, like that. Well, that. that resource allocation is a different thing altogether. Mm. Yeah, sometimes, occasionally, in public sector in particular, we make de- we have to make decisions based on resources, but uh, hopefully not on golf game. Not on golf game or getting closer to home time. Absolutely. No. All right. So what are we saying? Is this myth or fact? It's a myth. A myth. <laughs> Good. Uh, so I hope after listening to this, you know what a birth plan is, um, whether birth a birth plan actually makes birth go better, um, what works in a birth plan, what doesn't work in a birth plan, um, and that we've given you just a, uh, a taster of what you can think about to write your birth plan. One page. One A4 pages, tons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to ask this question. Sorry. When do you give your – like, say – with you, you're, you've got continuity of care and, like, it's easy for oh, you yeah, to... Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I ask people about 30 weeks to start working on it if they haven't and then show it to me because when you show it to me, it's a great opportunity for me to go, yeah, yeah, that's all routine, it's all great, 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 tick, 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 tick. And then if something jars, I go, I mean, have you thought about this? And they go, I have a think about it, come back with it revised. So we review it again, maybe 32, 34 weeks. If you're in a setting where the people looking after you on the day of the birth are not the people who've been caring for you through the pregnancy, then you've got to show them the plan up front. Good. Okay. So maybe laminate it or something? Does anyone laminate it? No. Oh, I think that's a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) Just hand it over and say, this this is me and this is what I, this is, this is my preference. And don't be embarrassed. No, no. Yeah. Absolutely not. No, no. That's, this is an efficient way of getting your preferences across. Good. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time. Bye for now. 